welcome back to our study of 2 Peter. Today we're going to be doing chapter 2, 10 through 22. Let's open in prayer. Father, just thank you again for Peter and for his word, Lord, that you've written, your word that you've written through his pen. And I pray, Father, that we would be um, hearers of your word, Lord, today. And, and uh, that we would not only hear, but, Lord, assimilate and take in and, and, and be changed people, Lord, for your glory. We ask all these things that you would be glorified through in and through us. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, First Peter, and this is chapter 2, like I said, and it's uh, verses 10 through 22. I'm going to start out by reading verses 10 through 16 of chapter 2. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring the slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight, they are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed, an accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey. A beast without speech who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. False teachers will be judged severely by God, as we were talking about last time. As certainly were the angels, the world in Noah's day, and the sinful people of Sodom and Gomorrah. In verses 10 through 17, Peter described the true nature of the false teachers plaguing the church in the first century. The apostles and teachers emphasized purity and cleanliness before God. But the false teachers in the church who denied these standards demonstrated their desire to be indulging in the flesh, following the corruption, pollution, defilement, desire of their sinful nature. Like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, they did so in a spirit which held authority and contempt. Indeed, they despised authority. Jude tells us in Jude 1, 18-19, they say to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But this was not just in any authority. These reckless antinomians, grace abusers, if you will, despised, think down on both lordship and authority. This most likely refers to the authority of the sovereign Lord. They despised it, himself and his word. One would expect people of this mentality to, who are bold, presumptuous, self-willed, and arrogant to slander even to the point of deliberately speaking untruth about celestial beings. They held to the belief that God wills man to live under no restraint whatsoever. Because they desire to be their own authority, they do not desire to be subject to anyone. Self-willed, 
They are determined to have their own way, and they are not afraid to speak evil of those of highest rank, as they are so filled with pride and conceit. They are their own God. False teachers were doing things even angels would not do, namely, slander such beings. One might expect stronger and more powerful beings like angels, good angels, to criticize less powerful beings, the fallen ones. But that's simply not allowed in the presence of the Lord. I think about what you have that you didn't receive, and if you received it, why would you boast? Why would you think better of yourself? We are also told in Jude, in the very way these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. That's in Jude 1, 8-9. Yet so great was the pride of these slanderers that it knew no bounds in their attack on all who disagreed with their teachings. Even so, Scripture states, they were totally ignorant of the very things they blasphemed. Again, Jude tells us, Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Jude 1.10 The false teachers of the first century were like brute beasts. They operated from instinct, which was locked into their sin nature, rather than from rational choice. They followed their natural desires. Old and New Testament alike make it clear that man is very capable of living lower than the animals. Like animals in a jungle, their only value was in being caught and destroyed. This harsh language from Peter is an indication of how serious he considered these heresies to be. Like beasts, they too will perish. It's literally in their corruption, they too shall be corrupted. An interesting play on words. Corruption here probably means eternal punishment. Yet all the while, God tells his children in Ephesians 4, 20-24, You, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. To be sure, these false teachers will be caught in their own webs. They will be paid back with a harm for harm, injustice or wickedness they have done. God will give them what they have done to others. Paul states in Galatians 6, 7-10, Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Though the false teachers tried to pass themselves off as spiritual leaders possessing a special level of knowledge, 
They did not even seek to hide their orgies under the cover of darkness, but would carouse in broad daylight while reveling in their pleasures, deceptions, which that is what means. And they did all this while obviously joining in the love feasts of the church. Again, Jude states, these men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves, they are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. In Jude 1, 12-13, they were blots and blemishes. Like a stain on a clear shirt or a scratch on a tiny ring, they marred the Lord's Supper by their very presence. This was just one of the injustices they did to others. They delighted in what was vulgar, vile, and vicious. They speak evil of that which is sacred, that which is holy. Isn't it interesting that men take God's name in vain? They don't take the city's name in vain, or their boss's name in vain, or the name of some, some person they hate in vain. Yet they take God's name in vain. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, of glories, of this order that God has established in this universe. It is pride which causes them to speak as they do. Critical language poured from Peter's pen as he summoned sharp phrases to condemn these heretics. Had there been any doubt up to this point about the salvation of these false teachers, Peter closed the door by indicating they were habitual sinners their eyes consistently looking towards sinning, with eyes full of adultery is literally having eyes full of an adulteress. That is, thinking only of adultery, only when they see women. They never stop sinning, is literally unceasing in sin, probably referring to their sinning with their eyes. Jesus tells us in Matthew, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In Matthew 5, 27-28. In refusing the truth, they of necessity will be left to perish in their own corruption, and in due time will be rewarded according to the unrighteousness of their lives. They have lived as though their greatest object was to satisfy the desires of their own hearts, their own flesh. They have counted it a pleasure to riot in the daytime. The night will find them utterly unprepared for the judgment that they have so richly deserved. Their deceit was aimed at seducing, meaning bait or entice, the unwary or unsteadfast, and they have become a specialist in greed, meaning having a heart exercised in greed. Experts, as Peter calls them, they're guilty of all these immoral excesses. It is no wonder that Peter called them an accursed brood. Sensuality, deception, greed, all are deserving of God's wrath. We see in these descriptions the utter corruption of the human heart. The heart is deceitful beyond all cure. Who can understand it? It can be the blackest black when God gives a, uh, a man up to the way of his own leanings. When a man thinks wrong, he's going to act wrong. One cannot escape that fact. As these teachers of error mingle among the people of God, marring and disturbing the fellowship of the saints, giving themselves over to self-indulgences as a feast 
with Christ, as I feast with Christians, as though they belong to the family of God, because there is no power in error to subdue nature's sinful lust. These false teachers are described as never ceasing from sin. We have no power in the flesh to subdue sin. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit is one capable of doing that. It is only the might of the Holy Spirit that can subdue and hold in check the lust of the flesh and change a heart. False doctrines can never do this. It is only the power of God that changes the human heart and its leading leanings. And that, to me, is one of the greatest miracles ever. It is the greatest miracle. Henry Drummond writes, Willpower will not change men. Time does not change men. Christ changes men. Dr. Steve Childress says, Therefore, the gospel should be seen as not only a message of good news for lost people to be saved from sin's penalty, but also as a message of good news for Christian people to be saved from sin's domineering power. We do not have to be yoked to sin any longer. The goal of the gospel is not merely to forgive us, but to change us into true worshipers of God and authentic lovers of people. Robert Morgan writes, The only way to change your life is to change your mind, and it requires changing the lordship and leadership of your heart. While beguiling or leading astray unstable souls, that is, those who are not well grounded in the truth of God, these apostasies prove themselves to be an accursed generation whose hearts are exercised not unto godliness, but with covetous practices. In verses 15 through 16, Peter invoked a fourth Old Testament illustration, but this time he moved from Genesis to Numbers, chapters 22 through 24. These false prophets were like animals, and their prototype, Balaam, son of Beor, was reproved by an animal, as God would have it, a donkey, who restrained the prophet's madness in Numbers 22, 28, and 30. Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. He knew that he should not go and prophesy against Israel, but he loved the price that was being offered to him. Therefore, the way of Balaam is the, is the covetousness of one who does religious work, pretending to be subject to the Lord, for personal profit. While on his way to do this evil deed, his donkey spoke literally, meaning was making a sound, stopping the prophet in his madness, literally being apart or away from right thinking. A mere donkey, a dumb animal, was smarter than Balaam the prophet. One commentator stated that in the old days it was a miracle when a jackass spoke, and now in our day it is a miracle when one of them keeps quiet. The donkey spoke to Balaam and rebuked him because of his covetousness. The false teachers like Balaam had sinned so long and so intensely that their sin had become a form of insanity. Also today, many people have so thoroughly given themselves over to avarice and debauchery that their lifestyles are spiritually insane. Money and sex, even in the name of religion, continue to bring spiritual ruin to many people. This is the era of Balaam. Jude 11, the way which is diverse from the straight way. These men are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty boastful words 
and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would be better have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A, cry, a dog returns to his vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. We are held accountable for the light we have received. Always. Though the ultimate judgment of heretics is assured, Peter wrote as he did because of the damage that these apostates continue to wreck in the church. Peter now explained the great destruction that such false teaching can bring into the church. While they promise liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. This accursed brood was and is able to make an impact because of the deceptive nature of their approach and the vulnerability of their targets who were not steeped in God's word. False teachers are springs without water and mists driven by a storm, Jude tells us in 12.13. In both cases, one would look for some benefit or blessing, a cool drink from a spring or a refreshing shower from the clouds. But in each of these cases, he's disappointed. They promise one thing, but they don't produce. God promises and produces always. The very nature of hypocrisy is that one does not have what he pretends to have. Once again, Peter wrote of their coming judgment. The blackest darkness is reserved for them. This blackness is presumably hell. Using human speech as their weapon, false teachers aim at their targets, mouthing empty, futile, worthless, boastful, without results words. Such high-sounding words by which they sought to impress and deceive people were actually worthless, being no different from the sound a donkey makes. These false teachers sought to lure the unstable by appealing to, which means baiting or enticing, the lustful desires of their sinful human nature. They promised freedom while they themselves were mastered by sin. They didn't even have freedom to give. For as scripture states, we are slaves to whatever has mastered us. As Christians, Christ is to be our master. And what a wonderful master he is. The teachers themselves were licentious, and they tried to encourage Christians to do the, and be the same. These apostates had had knowledge of Christ. They knew the truth, but had no love of the truth. Do you love him? Do you love his word? They rejected what they once professed and had become enslaved in some sort of corruption. Attention, attention, girls. The techniques of false teachers are only workable with the naive. For the heretics are like a 300-pound man selling diet books. They promise freedom, but are they themselves hopelessly enslaved by depravity? Their empty and boastful promises of liberty are reminiscent of Satan's words to Eve. These false teachers exalt themselves instead of exalting Christ. 
They do not use the word of God except for a few little proof texts that more or less clothe their teaching with a pious halo. Whether they, in verse 20, refers to the teachers or their victims, both groups had available to them the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, who does graciously offer liberty and life and salvation to all who would believe in him. While these people claimed a knowledge, they knew him not. They had professedly given up the world, its sin and folly, but there was never a new nature imparted. And they again found themselves mastered by the world. They did not truly believe. Remember, even Satan knows Christ and trembles and is not saved. Sadly, when, when truth is rejected, the end is a deeper corruption, again entangled in it and overcome, and presumably to be a more severe degree of punishment. Sin never remains on the same level, will either be going up or down. This is what verse 20 is discussing in Second Peter. Indeed, these people would have been better off if they'd never known the gospel at all, the way of righteousness and the sacred commands, than to have known the truth and deliberately violated it. Dr. A.C. Gabalian, Gabalian, I can't even pronounce his name, a preacher of the word states, Friends, if you come in here today unsaved, and you walk out of here unsaved, I am the worst enemy that you have ever had, because you have heard the gospel, and you can never go into the presence of God and tell him that you have never heard the gospel. You have heard it, and it will be worse for you when God pronounces judgment than for any heathen in the darkest part of the earth today. Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, 43-45, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, it found, finds the house unoccupied, unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes in and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. We are vessels made to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we seek to fill it with the lesser objects of nature, we are doomed both in life and in death, even though we may be worldly successful, like Lot and all his earthly possessions counted for nothing. They were burnt up. Yet if we are a child of the King, we will always, always be a child of the King and always be gloriously alive in Him who bought us with His blood and offered us the unsearchable riches of Christ. We are held by the grip of Christ himself, not by our own grip. Proclaiming this was the Apostle Paul's greatest passion. He writes in Ephesians and in Colossians, Ephesians 3, 7 through 8, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And in Colossians, he says, Now I rejoice in 1, 24-29, in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, 
the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations and is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. If you are a pig, you will always go back to wallowing in the pig pen. If that dog or that sow, Spurgeon says, had been born again and had received the nature of a sheep, it never would have gone back to the filth here depicted. Jews considered both dogs and pigs among the lowest of all creatures. So Peter chose these animals to describe people who knew the truth and turned away from it. The first proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, is taken from Proverbs 26:11. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. The second proverb, a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud, was presumably commonly known by the Jews in the first century. The underlying principle of both is the same. These apostates, whether they're false teachers, their victims, or both, never were what they seemed to be and returned to what they had been all along. Dogs and pigs can be scrubbed but not kept clean, for it is in their very nature returned to an unclean thing. Such apostates are in a tighter bondage as they are farther from the truth and they are deeper in their spiritual filth than ever before. Believers today do well to heed Peter's warnings against false teachers, to learn how to discern truth for themselves and to teach it to others. The false teachers will themselves meet destruction and others will be destroyed by them. But Christians can wage spiritual warfare more effectively if they know their spiritual enemies, the techniques that heretics use, and the end result of their deception. Greg Laurie writes, oftentimes we don't like to say the words hell and judgment because people will get offended. So we hide that part of the gospel message. Listen, the word gospel means good news. We have good news. But before something can be fully appreciated as good news, they need to know all about the bad news. Just like we heard today, it was like, oh. Jesus did not come to be an additive to your life. He did not come to just give you warm, fuzzy, emotional feelings. Jesus primarily came to deliver us from eternal judgment in hell. Things like happiness, peace, and joy are fringe benefits of this. The big issue is eternity. We must not be afraid to tell people the truth. We, like the Apostle Paul, need to proclaim the whole counsel of God. Spurgeon writes, return, return, return. Jesus is waiting for you. He will stretch forth his hand and pull you in into himself, your heart's true home. It is never too late to turn to him. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word, even though hard, even though it's heavy. Lord, we thank you for the warnings, the warnings, the warnings that Peter puts out. Lord, help us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and please you in all that we say and do and think for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.